Hi, welcome to Not Another Marketing Podcast, where I'm talking to Dan Gray from sustainable clothing brand Cotton. We're talking about finding the right marketing channels and how to measure the results. Thanks for downloading. There are so many different marketing channels, online, offline, don't mention the metaverse. How do we pick the right place? In this episode, I'm talking to Dan Gray from sustainable clothing brand Cotton, who shares how he's found the right channels for his brand and also how to measure the return on investment as well. Lots of strategy advice. Now, you can find Dan on LinkedIn, also at Cotton, which is K-O-T-N.com, K-O-T-N.com. There's links in the show notes. Can I quickly mention that Not Another Marketing Podcast is totally ad-free. I'd love it if you could give the pod a quick shout on social media and subscribe via your favourite podcast app. Uh, You can find more episodes at jtid.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Uh, Can I quickly as well invite you to my new Facebook marketing group for kind of news and tips and new podcast episodes, lots of networking as well. It's called Not Another Facebook Marketing Group. Love to see you there. Now, the first thing I asked Dan was to kind of try and define what a marketing channel is. I think a lot of people often look at marketing channels synonymously with media. Uh, so they see media or impressions as sort of, okay, that's that's a marketing channel. But to me, a marketing channel is really anywhere where you can capture customer attention. Uh, so whether that's a physical space, whether that's online, um, whether that's via word of mouth, you know, it, it might not even come directly from the brand. A marketing channel is really what is sort of this bucket or circle you can draw around a, a specific place or time where you can grab people's attention yeah well, we kind of we kind of think digitally an awful lot nowadays but there's a lot of there's a lot of channels still going which which are not digital i mean i mean i was talking to i'm talking to somebody in a in a few weeks about sending sending direct marketing postcards and things like that apparently it's still going a hundred percent yeah I, I you know what i say this is as, as a bit of an alarmist but uh I really do think in a way digital marketing has kind of destroyed customer empathy mm. uh, quite a little bit because uh, it's 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 almost made us marketers um, a little disconnected from our customer and that we, we view them yeah. through digital channels specifically as clicks and impressions as opposed to real people with real psychological considerations as they're making purchases. So when it comes to channels, I kind of try to bucket them into two different vehicles, one being mass channels and a lot of those tend to fall digitally because you know digital really is uh, a great vehicle for achieving mass adoption Hmm. so that's like facebook instagram youtube tv radio etc and then the other sort of channel that i'm super interested in and i think marketers need to start brainstorming ideas around or what i define as contextual channels so those are the kind of channels that aren't necessarily mass but it's it's where does your customer think about your product or your category and start to consider a solution like yours. So one example would be if you think about pet food, for instance, Yeah. where do people think about pet food? So yes, you can go mass and you can share Facebook ads and you can have YouTube videos, but what if you, as even as an e-com business, start to think about, okay, how do I start to market in veterinarian offices? How do yeah. I put up posters around dog parks? How do I partner with dog trainers. So there's there's sort of these contextual spaces that, you know, the more we spend time thinking about those and do the work to actually break through in, in those specific channels, I think those are the ones that are more differentiated and actually create a much 
better foundation for growth as opposed to a channel that can be accessed by pretty much any organization. Yeah. There's, I think, I think digital is also quite easy, isn't it? Uh, and I mean that, and no, it is quite easy, isn't it? You know, launching a Facebook campaign, launching a Google ad campaign, it is actually quite easy. Once you've worked out your audience details and you've got some budget or something, the actual process of doing it. Whereas, like you said, if you've got to actually go out there and research, you know, 20 or 30 different dog parks. And you've got to figure out who runs them and you've got to try and make contact with these people and you've got to try and get permission to put posters and ads and things around them. That's a lot more work, isn't it? hundred percent. And when you say it's easier, I mean, it's easier in the sense that the time to execute is is much quicker. But yeah. when you look at what that ease brings to that channel, so let's let's use Facebook as an example again, you know, because of how much adoption that channel's had, it brings increased scrutiny, right? Yeah. Apple's not going after veterinarian offices with its uh, <laughs> with its new iOS 14.5 software update. It's going after Facebook because it's got a massive target on its back. Yeah. In in addition to that, because so many people are trying to serve Facebook ads, and, and you know, Facebook admittedly in the last year or so has struggled to increase the number of impressions it can share across its ad platform. We as advertisers are all starting to see CPMs go up considerably, and there's really yeah. no end in sight for that. So that's what I mean by finding these contextual differentiated channels. You're essentially carving out a niche channel that if you're willing to put in the work, because there is a significant amount of upfront time necessary to unlock a channel like this. You know, offline channels do have a considerable amount of human capital necessary to, yeah. to make them work. There is a defensibility around that that can that can spark multi-generational companies and, and really propel you forward. Do you think with all these op the, all these opportunities out there, we should avoid kind of like spreading ourselves around a, a, a bit too thin and, and doing a little bit of everything? I, I don't see a flaw in that. I think having a um, diversified marketing mix is super important. Mm -hmm. I think where teams get lost is they diversify to the point that it works counter to how much bandwidth they have across their organization. So for a large, more sophisticated marketing team, diversity is the name of the game, right? You, as a large organization, do not want to put all of your growth into one or two channels because, you know, you have considerable growth expectations. And if one of those channels falls off, you know, you're, you're standing on the edge of a cliff. But for a smaller team, if you're trying to unlock, you know, your first or second channel, for sure, you want to go deep into one or two channels first. Yeah essentially build your growth trajectory off of them. You know, perhaps you're looking to raise capital and um, be able to accelerate your team's growth first. So I would say it, it really depends. I think as a manager, executive, founder, uh, whatever position you're in, be realistic about what you have at your, your discretion. I, I think one of the biggest things when it comes to testing anything is like you have to align your testing framework or your testing roadmap with how much human bandwidth you actually have yeah. and how much you can afford to test at one time. Yeah, yeah, no, I think you're right because if you've got a small team, you're not going to be able to do every every channel brilliantly, are you? you, you it's going to suffer, yeah. Exactly, and you know what? You can, you can rely on external partners as well to support some yeah, of this. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I think there is a place for that in this equation. Ultimately, I think, you know, my, my stance on sort of in-house versus out-of-house when it comes to experimentation. I think you're gonna do your best experimenting from a macro stance hmm. with internal folks. So, you know, the marketers on your team are gonna understand your customer better. They're gonna understand the, co the company's priorities. Um, and so when it comes to taking a macro look at, you know, 
10 to 20 different channels, your, your internal team is going to be best served for that. But if you are looking to pinpoint one specific channel and perhaps you haven't built that expertise in-house, that's where bringing on an agency that has done that and has that sort of perspective across a number of different companies can really accelerate your growth there. So there is some nuance and there is the potential to expand your bandwidth by bringing on consultants. There just has to be the right need. Yeah. Um, t- tell me a little bit about your business, Cotton, and then and then kind of tell me how you identified the best channels uh, to work with. Yeah, so Cotton is a ethical and sustainable uh, retailer of 100% Egyptian cotton apparel and home products. So right. uh, to put it a little more simply, we make really, really comfy clothing and, and bed sheets. <laughs> Um, our supply chain is based out of Egypt and, uh, we are B Corp certified and we actually lay claim to a hundred percent traceability, meaning we're one of 5% of the world that knows exactly where, uh, all of our products are coming from and every single stakeholder in our supply chain. So, yeah. um, it's a pretty amazing business. I've been fortunate enough to be with the team for the last two and a half years. Uh, and so in terms of our channel mix, I mean, one of the, the interesting things about our business and a consideration that I think a lot of direct-to-consumer businesses and and online businesses will need to shift towards is we really are a brand-first organization. So when I joined them two and a half years ago as as the director of growth, I knew my job was not necessarily to create this performance culture throughout Mm. an organization or create this direct response style media that a lot of D2C has been scaling off of the last, I'd say, decade. Um, My job was to grow in conjunction with our brand and make sure that anything we do doesn't cannibalize what we've done in terms of building goodwill with our customers, in terms of uh, so many of the the amazing pillars that we've built around our business. So direct response was kind of out of the question. So what we've been trying to do and, and what we've done over the last few years is sort of go through this experimentation framework of, okay, where do our customers exist? Where are people talking about sustainability and ethics hmm. when it comes to conscious consumption? Because, you know, we're not a fast fashion retailer. Sure. So, you know, there are places we we perhaps don't want to market to so we've we've done the paid media route for sure you know we've we've tried to unlock some advocacy channels so um referrals and we've done some uh, sort of you know chain mail type experiments where customers are sharing uh cotton with their friends and family we've uh we've tested what else has worked for us we've done a few um in-person events as well once covid's gotten a little bit better and yeah. started to see if there's traction there but sort of our our perspective on all, uh, on all of them has been the same it's like take a step back see if our customer exists there how do we want to speak to them what is our hypothesis for why this channel is going to be su- successful and then run an experimentation framework to see if we can validate those hypotheses quickly yeah i mean you've got a very specific market as well haven't you i mean you're not ASOS or Shein or something like that by any stretch. So you've got to kind of like go out there and try and find the folks who are interested in what you what you do, right? Yeah, there's almost like two buckets of categories. And this is what, what I was talking earlier about digital marketers sort of lacking mm. customer empathy. And I say that in a, in a bit of a too general way. But I think it's important when you're going through these, these experimentation exercises, whether it's channels or otherwise, to really have a good vision of who your customer is. So for us, yeah. When we approach channel experimentation, the first thing I'm thinking about is really there's two types of customers that we can stand to acquire. One is someone who's already on this path of discovery around conscious consumption, and they're already in the space and changing their buyer uh, behavior, right? They're shopping with other brands in the space. They've totally changed their consumption habits. They know sort of the pitfalls of fast fashion, and we don't need to necessarily be the ones educating them. 
So for that customer, it becomes a little bit more of, okay, what are we doing differently than the rest of the folks in our category, as opposed to here's why we're better than fast fashion. So that's like one track that we're looking at as we evaluate channels. The second is there's a customer that sort of inherently knows that fast fashion is wrong, at least yeah. in terms of the impact on the world, and they want to do something different. They just haven't necessarily been educated on how our product differentiates or you know what is the benefit of thrift shopping or what's the benefit of um, buying better quality things that are a little bit more expensive but in the long run save you money so for that customer that's definitely more of a mass customer we have to figure out how do we market to them and educate them at the same time as selling to them so that that's a very different mindset as we approach channel experimentation so again when i when i speak to other marketers about how to go through this process it's like well if you don't really have a good insight into your customer psyche and have these really strong images of these personas in your mind it's going to be very hard to figure out what the right marketing is to to sell to them regardless of what space or channel you're you're operating in regarding sort of like advocacy and influencer marketing that have you and i'm sure you've you've found that that works pretty well for your your product right yeah for sure we uh we definitely have the kind of product that um, once you feel it and can can see yeah. the difference as well, um, it truly does become something more tangible and elevated. And I think that's a challenge with e-com fashion in general that that all retailers face is like, how do you sell a product that you can't necessarily feel? How yeah. you know you can't tell what size makes most sense. So influencers has been a great channel for us in that sense. We try and find folks that really align with our brand. As I spoke to off the top, you know we are a business that you know, is beholden to our brand and we never want to do anything to um, to risk that. So Influencers has been an amazing channel because we find so many community leaders and um, cultural leaders that, you know, really speak to everything that Cotton, Cotton stands for, which is giving back to the communities that we participate in, creating a, an elevated, heightened quality of life. And so um, when it comes to influencer marketing, yeah, we, we've had a ton of traction, you know, mm. what my team has done to support that. So influencer marketing actually lives on our brand marketing team, what the right. growth marketing team has done to support that. And, and really how we serve our organization is we act as sort of consultants for the um, entire organization in order to craft growth experiments and, and more of a, a measured approach to how to go about these channels. So we've helped them essentially add a monetary value to the media that they're generating through influencer marketing. Uh, so I think the challenge with influencer marketing is you're never going to know 100% how much revenue you're driving from yeah, it. But yeah. at the very least, you know, you know you're getting X number of impressions. You know so many people are seeing your ads. At least if you can append some sort of, you know, CPM to the media that you're yeah. acquiring through influencer marketing, you can at least have some sort of apples to, let's call it apples to bananas yeah. uh, comparison yeah. to something like Facebook ads where it's not perfect, but at least you can start to look at it through the same lens. Yeah. Would you approach kind of like some of the fast fashion influencers and and, and see if they can work with you to try and maybe change some minds? Is, is that is that something you look at? Not today. Um, certainly, again, with the brand considerations that we have, I think there's still so many amazing people we haven't worked with yet. To, so mm. not to say in the future that that we wouldn't, but um, for us, it's less about one post. You know, say someone, um, their feed is full of fast fashion pieces and uh, talking about all of these different brands. While, you know, we love the idea that, you know, for, for one post of their week, they can uh, sort of change the narrative. We want to, we really want to work with people that believe in a, a lasting way of life and, and sort of live this ethos of, uh, better quality things 
that last longer. And so, yeah. uh, again, I, I don't want to rule out anything in the future. But for today, I think, you know, given our size as a business and, and again, back to bandwidth, yeah. let's work with with these amazing folks that are already sort of uh, evangelizing this lifestyle. Yeah. You mentioned that kind of like the influencer outreaches belongs to like the branding team. Do, do you use different strategies for, for different channels? Yeah. So, again, that's sort of where the growth team comes in is um, we support them on how to essentially improve all the metrics that ultimately lead to the number of influencers that are posting on our behalf. So um, we've worked with them on A-B testing, whether or not to reach mm-hmm. out via email be a direct response on Instagram? Should we reach out directly to the influencer? Should we reach out through their agency? You know, what is the right approach? Um, and so through that, what we found is um, Instagram DMs, you know, that that has ultimately yep. been the most successful. When we talk right. about like contextual, if you talk about contextual channels, you know, where, what context do influencers think about Instagram? Well, Instagram is is the inevitable answer. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we, we keep trying to hone that pitch. Um, we track, you know, how, how our response rates are doing, ultimately, you know, what is our ratio from the number of people that we reach out to, to ultimately post on our behalf, to provide them that support and framework for experimenting in, in an area that a lot of brands might not be experimenting on. They kind of just go through the motions and, and do outreach. We want to add a layer of scientific in- experimentation on top of that. Uh, how do you go about tracking what's working? Because you've got you've got a lot of things going on, a lot of different channels. Uh, you're bringing, like you were saying, direct marketing and, and things like that. That that's difficult to measure sometimes. How do you go about tracking what works? Yeah, so I think first thing is accountability and ownership. Mm. Uh, if you don't have someone in your organization that can be accountable for this, that's just a signal that hey, this this isn't a big enough priority that you should be doing this because, as you're alluding to you're not going to track it well. You're really really not going to get good data. And that's fine. You know, some organizations just inherently see success from a channel like influencers, whether it's customers responding in checkout surveys or if you give influencers coupon codes, there's a whole bunch of coupons being used through the till. That's fine if you can't measure it perfectly. As long as you have a good intuition or sense that, hey, this is successful, it's okay if you don't have the perfect measurement tool. Uh, We actually use a technology called Grin, which does a lot of... um, rich data analysis for us in terms of influencer outreach. So we have dashboards set up and information there, but at times when we've sort of lacked that data and had blind spots, this is also something that you can just track in a spreadsheet. Uh, So, you know, ultimately here are all the people we're reaching out to, how many have we reached out to, how many have responded, and then just start to create formulas within that spreadsheet for uh, the success there. Because you're really not working with any sort of crazy data as it relates to to influencer outreach. It's more um, once an influencer posts on, our, on your behalf, the challenge then becomes, okay, how many people are actually engaging with that post? Because the trackability and uh, clicks that come through influencer engagement are not as direct as, say, uh, an ad platform. Yeah. Have you, have you tried using any tools to kind of like unify everything, like bring in all the Facebook data, the Google Ads data, the influencer, the direct marketing stuff and bring everything into one place like a, a marketing CRM or something? I will tell you, we have tried. Mm. <laughs> We've tried uh, with with uh, limited results. I would yeah. say this yeah, is yeah. like th- this is the number one question I've been getting as it pertains to uh, some of the challenges with, with Facebook is like, how do I measure success now? Right. Because. I think one of the things that made Facebook the most successful ad platform of the last 10 years is that Facebook was really good at telling you it was doing good, yeah. right? You knew when your ads were performing well, uh, at least in Facebook's eyes. And, and we as marketers get really comfortable with that data. And now 
Now that that data is not as reliable, a lot of people are looking for a data platform or attribution solution to tell them how well they're doing. So yeah. for us, we went through that exercise. We evaluated a whole bunch of attribution platforms. We looked at marketing mix modeling, a whole bunch of different techniques. And, and really what we found was there is not a silver bullet for this. Yeah. And a lot of the solutions out there are incredibly expensive. So we've we've gotten comfortable and satisfied with using Google Analytics and then layering that on top with other data sources that we have that can also give us information on what's happening. Um, so for instance, you know, we do look at our checkout survey data to see what channels are customers reporting that they're coming from, right? Because as much as there is yeah. some subjectivity to customers self-reporting on, on attribution, it actually does give you insight into what channel is the most impactful in gathering their attention and saying, okay, this is a brand that I should be shopping with. So we look at that. Uh, we also use coupon codes. You know, we do incentivize first purchase, um, not to a drastic degree. Again, there are brand considerations there as well. But if we have unique coupon codes scattered throughout the internet, whether that's specific codes to different channels or to different influencers, that does give us some insight into, into how we're performing. And then we, we use ad platforms as well. We just don't use ad platforms to measure success across channels, right? Sure, because, yeah, yeah. Because there's such a, an inherent bias if you use an ad platform to measure success for that channel, right? So if you're using Facebook's ad platform to see how Facebook's doing, then Google's ad platform to see how they're doing, and then Pinterest's platform to see how they're doing, there's no consistency across those three. Yeah. So if you're only trying to measure how does this Facebook ad compare against this Facebook ad, that's totally fine because, again, you're comparing two variables that live within the same ecosystem. But when you're measuring cross-channel, that's where you want to bring in some of those alternative sources to dictate how those channels are doing on a macro lens for your business. Yeah, I'm really glad you said you hadn't been able to find like that one tool to unify everything because I've looked, I've tried, I've worked with all sorts of different companies trying to trying to bring all that data into one place so we can like bring up a dashboard and just see how it but it doesn't exist yet. Do you think the problem sometimes is the 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 actual channel itself like Facebook limiting some of the data you can grab through the API and that? I don't think so. I just think the internet is such a complex place. Yeah. You know, customer experiences are not linear. No. And so the introduction of multi-browser um, discovery has kind of made it really challenging for any technology to properly assess, okay, here's this customer on this device, and then here's this customer on this device, and then here's customer on this device. Truly, like the only way to find the perfect solution and unify that data is to have personally identifiable information for every customer every time they log in. So yeah. If you ever go to like a website and they force you to insert your email before even accessing the site, I think Pinterest does a really, really great job of this. It's like you have to be in a logged in state every time they use their app. Well, that's the reason they're doing it, right? Is that they can tie all of that user behavior together um, to say, hey, this is this customer. Let's append UTM data or any sort mm -hmm. of channel data for every session they're doing. But I don't blame this on a specific ad channel. I think it's just a really, really hard thing to do. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I, I, and then then when you start building things like I don't know, you buy a whole load of bus display ads. You've you've skinned a load of buses, right? And then you you try and measure the ROI on that. It's it becomes trickier unless you're using coupon codes, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. One other technique that I'll I'll talk to you that can be really useful, and you see this a lot in traditional media, and and we've actually used hmm. this uh, with Facebook and some online channels as well, is this idea of running holdout tests. Right. So essentially what a holdout test looks like is um, you run media in one or two different markets and then you don't run it in a few other markets. So say, for instance, you're sure. running Facebook ads in 
England and you're running ads in France. Yeah. Well, you have data now across your business, not just for Facebook, but like how much revenue is England contributing over the last 30 days and how much revenue is France contributing in the last 30 days? And obviously Facebook's going to be a pretty big piece of the pie. And when you're running a whole down test, one thing I'll, I'll add as well is it's important that you're spending at least a relative amount across the two channels because when you're running an A-B test, you want your two groups to at least have somewhat uh, relative data and be, be somewhat similar. So if you have markets like this, so in our case, you know, we, we ran a test in Canada and the US, mm -hmm. um, we stopped running ads in one of those countries. Yep. So for 30 days, we said, okay, we're going to pause ads in this country. And, you know, obviously we had the luxury of being able to do so. Yeah. We kept running the ads in, in Canada, but we actually paused ads in the States for, for 30 days. And what we then did was evaluated, okay, what was the 30 day over 30 day growth in revenue in Canada versus US, knowing that we are now only running ads in one of those countries. And so then from there, you can start to see, okay, yeah, yeah. you know, maybe we have 15% growth in the market. We're still running ads in, but only 5% yeah. growth in the market. We're not running ads in. Yeah. And so you can attribute that net difference between the two to Facebook ads. So running holdout tests, and, and again, back to traditional media, like a lot of, a lot of companies will do this uh, with their radio ads or out of home yeah, advertising sure. where, um, where they'll sort of pulse where those ads are running in various markets in order to, to evaluate the difference between two very similar locations. Yeah, fascinating stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Um, where where can we find Cotton? Where can we find you and your, your website, social media bits and pieces so we can connect? Yeah, so uh, Cotton, it's actually spelled K-O-T-N for those who aren't I like that. the brand. So, I like that. Yeah, it's, it, it's kind of neat. Um, <laughs> it, it definitely makes it a little challenging sometimes if people don't know how to pronounce it. But uh, yeah. if you're looking for us and you want to get the comfiest T-shirt you've ever owned, feel free to visit kotn.com. I'm actually, I recently moved into a new position as general manager of our wholesale division. So um, I, I manage our division called Cotton Supply, which helps teams and companies create custom ethical and sustainable merchandise. So right. if there's anyone out there also looking to make uh, really comfy swag, you know, they're tired oh, of yeah. uh, throw, throw away promotional merch. Yeah. They want to get um, Egyptian cotton hoodies or sweatpants yeah. or t-shirts. I'm in for that. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to follow up with you. I'm going to, I'm going to take you up on that, but uh, they can find us at uh, cotton.supply. So that's K-O-T-N.supply. Yeah. Uh, and we'll, we'll help you out and, and get your team some merch. They're actually going to want to wear. Oh God, wouldn't it be nice to go to like an expo or something and find that all the swag was in Egyptian cotton. Oh, that'd oh, be, that would be incredible. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, Dan, thanks ever so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. This has been a blast and uh, appreciate everyone who took the time out to listen today. Thanks again to Dan for his time. Don't forget to check the links in the show notes. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe for more on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, your favourite podcast player. Just search for Not Another Marketing Podcast. Thanks for listening.